0: We need everyone to pay attention. Let's meditate on it with John Kabat-Zinn on this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential.
1: To think about positive psychology, it's a science, and it's actually younger than the Internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness.
2: You have some factors in your control. that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain.
1: And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy
0: Now. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Glad that you are making us a part of your day wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening. And while you are online, we encourage you to check out our website, livehappy.com. You can also get the digital edition of our magazine. Yeah, we sell one of those and we make it available to you in a digital edition just in case you can't get to a newsstand or a bookstore. You can get it in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store and it is available on your phones now. As well as your tablet devices, and it's got all kinds of special features in there, especially when you get the digital edition. So we encourage you to pick that up, as well as maybe a copy of the print magazine. Either way, we are happy that you are living happier. Now, this episode is a sciencey episode, and that's why we bring in Paula Phelps, among other reasons, but mostly because this is a sciencey episode. We're talking with John Cabot Zinn, an internationally known f- scientist writer, and meditation teacher engaged in bringing mindfulness into the mainstream of medicine and society. And Paula explored the importance of meditation and how it can positively impact the world, along with some tips on how to get started.
1: John, I'm really glad that you could join us here today. You know, mindfulness is such an important topic, and I think right now it's probably even more important, and and a lot of people are wondering what it is and how they can practice it. And so I wondered. Since we do hear mindfulness, the word, batted around a lot, can you really tell yes. us what it truly is?
2: Well, the, the easiest way to explain it, but the one that doesn't make it sound too attractive or important, is to <laughs> just say that it's it's pure awareness. And, of course, we downgrade our the value of awareness constantly, so it just becomes awareness of what and who cares. But, um, but mindfulness is really uh, pointing at something, a very profound capacity that we have as human beings that we don't pay much attention to. And that is that um, we can be aware of both interior and exterior, inner and outer experience, in a way that gives us more leverage on how we're going to conduct ourselves in the next moment. And without that, and that you could call wisdom, and without that, then we're kind of like on autopilot, just, you know, being jerked around by this condition or that condition and and wind, winding up, in some sense, not living our lives uh, as fully as we might and tapping into our resources as fully as we might. So another way to put it is that mindfulness is about how we are in relationship to What arises in our lives, again, both inwardly and outwardly, in the body and in the outside world and in our families and so forth. And when we meet it with awareness, then our lives light up in a certain way and go from, you could say, being not only on autopilot, but in a certain way uh, in black and white, like a black and white movie as opposed to a full technicolor uh, panoramic sound movie. So it lights up. The potential for us to live life as if it really, really, really mattered, and I, for one, would say that uh, it really, really does matter. And in some sense, the fate of the world hangs in the balance.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. I got I instantly got that visual of the Wizard of Oz, where it goes from black and white to color. Yes,
0: I, was <laughs> um, to say
1: that I, I love the way that that you describe that. And. You know, when you bring up the environment and things like um, some of the challenges we're facing and people go, well, I'm just one person. How is me being mindful going to help it on a global scale?
2: Yeah, well, um, that's a great question, but it turns out that um, every person actually is embedded in this larger lattice structure, if you will, of the entire world. And while it looks like, you know, each one of our contributions trivial, it turns out that it's not, that uh, we affect each other. And even our brains resonate with what, you know, each other is doing. And that seems that there are structures called mirror neurons in the the, the, uh, somatosensory cortex that that actually fire when other people's bodies move in a certain ways. So that's ought to be the biological basis of the empathy. So actually telling ourselves that we're infinitesimally small and nothing we do could make a difference on a global scale, it isn't true. I mean, even wanting the world to wake up and come to its senses and then uh, living your life as if that was really, really important, uh, if, if, one person does it. well yeah that's nice but, but let's let's say thousands of people are doing it and then speaking among you know themselves and so forth uh, very quickly it can actually shift the mind state of, in the mind state if you will or the perspective of an, of an entire country and you started out this interview by saying maybe we need mindfulness now more than ever before and i would say absolutely and it's far beyond the dualisms of black and white or red and blue, and Democrat, Republican. We're talking about the, what, what, what we need to do as human beings to not destroy ourselves. And mm-hmm. here, every single one of our hearts, every single one of our perspectives, every single one of our families really does matter because it's what it's all about. It's our common humanity. This is not a matter of me trying to sell your listening audience on mindfulness or to come to our talk in Dallas or whatever it is. Uh, it's really about uh, us waking up as a species. And and I think that the more people who, you know, don't trivialize this, because it's very easy to trivialize this and make fun of it, uh, but it turns out that uh, it's probably the absolute most important thing on the planet at this particular time that as, you know, human beings, we wake up to the effects that we're having on the planet from the local to the global level and then find ways to do it that optimize well-being around the world, not just human species, but all species and minimize harm and violence. And the only way we can do that is in some sense, I, I, you know, it feels to me like we have to recognize how easy it is for us to cause harm and violence to ourselves even Mm -hmm. through our own anger and feelings of unworthiness or the traumas that we've experienced or fear or whatever. Those are all in a certain way, a kind of burden that we carry that actually is like driving nails into our own coffin. And so when we actually put the welcome mat out for that stuff, it, it is transformative. And that's why, I've been doing it my whole life. I'm the world's most improbable meditator. I grew up on the streets of New York City and Manhattan and, like, you know. Uh,
1: Not the mindfulness capital of the world.
2: (laughs) And for me to have, you know, be practicing mindfulness both formally and informally for well over 50 years now, it's like, you know, you never, ever, I could never have predicted that. And yet it turns out to actually light up everything else that I love in my life and so it doesn't diminish us in any way people just don't understand what meditation is i mean I, you know my colleague george has trained the chicago bulls in its championship years and then the los angeles lakers in its championship years in mindfulness and and nobody's laughing that michael jordan or, or scotty pippen meditates or shaquille o'neal or, or kobe Bryant. you know people don't understand that meditation is really a. Uh, deeply connected to life, and actually also medicine. If you listen to the words meditation, medicine, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very provocative to sort of investigate what that connection is all about. And it's all about life, and it's all about, in the end, it's all about love, and it's all about about, uh, um, a deep sense of human, you know, purpose and connectedness manifesting in wisdom rather than in war for me and, you know, seeing everybody else as like uh, the enemy in a certain way. Of course, we have a long way to go with society to um, moving more in that direction. But uh, as I said to begin with, I, I think the fate of the world hangs in the balance. And again, it's not about the dualism of us versus them. There's only us. And if you don't like other parts of us, well, whether it's inside yourself or whether it's in the you know, White House or, you know, in the Kremlin or in Beijing, Beijing or any place else, well, then uh, we need to find a certain kind of common ground. And this is one way to do it. That's great.
1: And what a great, what a great uh, missive for 2017.
2: Well, I hope so. <laughs> Wonderful. I hope so. we need all the help we can get. And and more and more people, I'll just say, are taking this on. I mean, not as some kind of fad, but because it's deeply, deeply affected their, their own lives and they've seen it heal their families and their own bodies and their own minds and hearts. And that's really, once you taste that, you're not going to give it up. Because okay. the alternative is to go back to autopilot and to, you know, um, a uh, life lived in black and white and grey rather than in technicolor. Yeah. That's that's a tough one to do. You can't do it, so that's a wonderful one. No, I don't think people can go back. Uh, but but we can forget and I, I don't want to I'll just leave your listeners with this. Uh, it may sound from what I'm saying that mindfulness is easy. We we said that earlier. It's simple but it's not easy. It's the hardest work in the world because we're so addicted to being distracted and to having good feelings. So we're constantly running after feelings that we hope will be good and pushing away feelings that are here now or we don't like because they're sad or they're angry or they're frightened. And when we turn around and befriend and put the welcome mat out for the sad and the angry and the frightened and the beautiful and the loving and everything else, it turns out that uh, uh, that's the key to actually uh, liberating ourselves some of the prisons that we actually create for ourselves and then project out and blame everybody else for.
1: And here's where people get hung up a little bit, I think, is the time commitment. So they think, oh, I just don't have time to sit and meditate. I don't have time to be mindful. But it really, even a small commitment to a mindfulness practice can change your health and well-being and and mindset. So can you talk about kind of like what's our minimum daily requirement to get yes, started yeah, minimum, and what, what does it take?
2: <laughs> uh, well, I, I sometimes say, well, you know, um, in, a, in a way you could say we don't have time not to be mindful because before you know it, we're going to be dead. And the only time we have is while we're alive. And if we miss most of it by zoning to it on autopilot, you can actually zone through decades of life and then wake up at the end and realize, wow, I was on autopilot, the whole thing. I didn't actually see who my kids were. I didn't give them the love they kind of needed. I myself didn't follow my, you know, sort of deepest impulses to, you know, uh, to find out like what I most loved and do that, that I was kind of, you know, in some sense, the caricature of myself because, Uh, I got too caught up in my ideas of who I was and forgot about who I really was. So in a sense, we don't have time not to do mindfulness. It's that important. On the other hand, it's outside of time altogether. The present moment has very interesting properties, and that is that when you're in the present moment, the past is over, the future hasn't come yet, so there's only this moment. And if you can learn how to live in this moment, then it doesn't take any extra time at all. You're just moving through your life, surfing, if you will, on whatever arises, including your breath sensations moment by moment, and then handling whatever comes up, uh, whatever comes up in the best possible way you can, and you will handle things in general much better if you're fully present for them as opposed to being caught unawares or on autopilot or immediately uh, falling into emotional reactivity. So that's a trainable skill. That's like lifting weights if you want to. You work with the resistance of how challenging it is to, you know, repetitively lift a weight if it's not the right amount of weight. Um, you know, but, as you work at your it your muscle will slowly grow well, as your mind wanders and you bring it back and your mind wanders, and first of all, you have to notice that your mind wandered, and then you notice what 's on your mind, and then you bring it back well, you can do that twenty four seven and it has remarkable effects on your ability to actually uh shift the default mode if you will, from one of mindlessly you know, blasting through our moments to get the better ones that very often never happen, and and uh, rather than that, to default to mindfulness where you're just willing to be fully present, and that doesn't mean, by the way, that you get real stupid as a as a, <laughs> a consequence of. Uh, you know, being in the present moment that you don't know that you have a past and you can't remember anything or you can't think about the future and plan or anything like that, of course, that all happens in the present moment too. So, again, it comes down to how you're willing to be in relationship with your actual experience in the only moment any of us ever have. And so rather than being a a drag and a discipline and, oh, now I've got to sit down on my chair or cushion, meditation cushion, and meditate for half an hour, and who's got the time for that? It can become a love affair with your life while you have it to live.
1: That's I love framing it that way. And and can you explain how you can develop that into that love affair? How, how can you yeah. take that? Well, first of all, that? that's
2: why I'm talking to you on the phone is because other people are going to be listening to this. And if anything that I'm saying, even like one thousandth of a percent of it makes sense to the listeners, then, then uh, you, the listener, may be uh, in some sense reminded that very often uh, there are unhappy consequences to not recognizing how beautiful you are and how complete you are in this moment, no matter what you think is wrong with you. And when you start to actually uh, uh, extend attention with tenderness to yourself, with a certain degree of kindness and compassion, that becomes a a kind of discipline and a love affair. And one way to do it is, and that's how we start out in NvSRs uh, if people, you know, medical patients uh, come to the clinic, they have to, you know, they have to agree to uh, an immediate lifestyle change, which is that you carve out up to 45 minutes a day, six days a week to practice this non-doing, you know, with guided meditation CDs or, you know, um, or uh, um, apps that, that allow you to actually formally exercise this muscle of mindfulness. But the real meditation practice is uh, the other 23 hours and 15 minutes. It's like, <laughs> again, the real meditation practice is every moment, how we live our lives and how awake and aware we can be and how, you know, centered, if you will, on uh, in awareness, the spaciousness of awareness itself and then see how that influences how we conduct our lives. And as I said, I mean, it's not that you get stupid or it's that you tap into multiple intelligences, emotional intelligence, somatic intelligence, social intelligences in ways that allow us to navigate moment by moment with our children, with our partners or spouses in the workplace and so forth in ways that like no one, you know, has to suspect you're a meditator. You're just a more balanced person, and people will wind up saying to you, I mean, we hear this from our patients all the time, what happened to you? You seem so much more, like, grounded, so much more calm, and what's going on? And like, you know, and- my suggestion is don't ever use the word meditation. Just say, yeah. oh, I don't know. you know, <laughs> but, or even mindfulness, because you can make mindfulness into a commodity and a slogan. And there are people out there now selling mindfulness in various ways: mindful bracelets, yeah. mindful watches, mindful hamburgers. I mean, I don't know what it is, but that's <laughs> had nothing to do with mindfulness, of course. You can prepare food mindfully and with TLC, and, and that's very beautiful. So you could say the more mindfulness goes into the cooking and into preparing food, um, the more satisfaction there is and the healthier it is when we share it in you know, the times when we eat together.
1: Yeah. So, so as people are listening to this, it's really simple. But but not yeah. always easy and yeah. and so how how can they begin Is
2: there as we're as okay. we're wrapping this well, up? Well, you know, I mean, uh, again, the, a, a listening audience. Um, maybe some people are in their cars driving if they're you know tuning into this program. Would that be the case? Is this going to be on the? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So okay, those of you who are driving, uh, be careful. Okay. Uh, don't close your eyes or anything like that. and You don't need to close your eyes to be mindful. In fact, driving, you know, is a, is a quintessential mindful activity, or it should be, and there'd be a lot less accidents if we actually looked out the windshield instead of to the side windows and so forth and distract ourselves as much as we do. And a lot of accidents now are due to texting and, you know, sort of horrible things. Where, uh, so those of you who are in the car, know that your driving is itself a mindfulness meditation practice. And just pay attention to what's in front of you and be in the present moment, and you'll make all the right decisions. If you are not driving and you have the capacity to uh, just uh, be still and you don't have to close your eyes, but whether the eyes are open or closed, just see if you can take a few moments to uh, you know, recognize that this whole thing is actually relationship. You're listening to the radio. I'm moving my tongue and my lips and making sounds, and they're going through the airwaves, and then they're going through the, you know, ether and coming out in your ears. And um, and you're following this sentence, and maybe aligning yourself with what's underneath it, and thinking, yeah, maybe maybe I can just sort of feel my body as a whole, sitting wherever I'm sitting, or lying down if I'm lying down. And in this moment, just feel the sensations in the body. When you learn to be aware of your body, either sitting or lying down or walking or whatever you're doing, then you can uh, learn to feel the various sensations in the body, one of which, of course, will be, uh, no matter what you're doing, that the breath is moving in and out of the body. And so you can, in a sense, ride on the waves of your own breathing with full awareness, keeping in mind that it's the awareness that is more important than the breathing itself. Then you learn over time, if you do this over and over and over again, the first thing you notice is the mind won't do it. It will self-distract. It will fall into thinking. It will start saying, this is stupid, or I don't want it, or if, if mindfulness is you know this is hard, I'm not going to do it, or whatever. And all of that is just thinking. And if you notice that it's thinking, just come back to the sensations in your body associated with this breath coming in, this breath going out. Over time, you're exercising that muscle. The mind wanders, you bring it back. Mind wanders, you bring it back. Mind wanders, you don't want to bring it back. You bring it back working with your own resistance, and that's something that's much more interesting than a muscle. What we're talking about really is wisdom starts to grow uh, through working with your own um, unwillingness or incapacity to actually rest in awareness without an agenda. But over time, uh, that actually develops. And this agenda-free willingness to drop into the present moment allows you to actually uh, not surrender your agendas, but actually accomplish your agendas in ways that are much more, artful and uh, in a certain way elegant and with a much less uh, stressful cost associated with them. But yeah, and you don't take my word for it. You just have to, you know, see for yourself if anything that I've said is, um, you know, enticing enough curiosity in your part or, or speaks to some aspect of who you are that resonates and then listen to yourself and let life become your mindfulness teacher.
1: That's great, and and obviously most of us want a teacher to stay with us. So, where can we go to get more information? I know you've got a website. Well, you know, I
2: don't want to sound so promotional, but that's why I write books. I mean, they're (laughs) basically vehicles for that, and and also I have guided, you know, meditation CDs and downloads and apps and stuff like that. So that if you really want, and they're helpful because, you know, it's one thing to hear somebody talk on the radio and then what did that person say? What am I supposed to do now? Am I breathing in? Am I breathing out? And it's a little bit overwhelming. That's why if you just sort of plug in a, you know, an app and do what it says to do on the app, then um, then you know that you're in some sense aligning yourself with whatever your aspiration is for doing in the first place. And over time... It's like time, having a
1: tutor there for the...
2: To yeah, and over time you can... You know, you don't need the guidance. You just you become your own guide, and you let life become your guide and your teacher. Uh, and that's what all the books are about. And, you know, I write in various sort of uh, voices and re- try to get into the crystal of mindfulness or the diamond of mindfulness to a lot of different angles and facets. But it's all of one piece, and it is ultimately I've come to see uh, – you know, the essence of what it is that makes us human is our capacity for heartfulness, for, you know, caring for others who are also suffering. And it's not all about me, 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 my, my, mine. Uh, I'm the center of the universe. Because everybody else is the center of the universe, too. So that says some very interesting things about the universe and, 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 and about healing and about how to learn to live together on this very fragile planet. And so there's a mindfulness that, you know, it has implications for society, for economics, for politics, for, you know, certainly the environment. I mean, you know, we've given the planet a fever, uh, and it's very serious business, and it may threaten all of mankind. That's why I started out saying that, you know, this may be, like, incredibly important for us in terms of the evolution of the human species to actually, you know, connect with what's deepest
0: and best in ourselves as human beings. Oh, don't you worry. This conversation isn't done. But we're going to take a little break. In the meantime, if you would like a sketch note of this episode of Live Happy Now, you can check it out by going to livehappynow.com. And while you're online, you can find us on Twitter at livehappy, facebook.com slash livehappy, or you can send us an email, podcast at livehappy, and tell us what you took away from this episode or maybe something you'd like to hear in a future episode. And you never know. we might read your letter right here on air and discuss it it can be fun i promise you we'll be back with more at some point with john cavettson but in the meantime thank you for helping us to live happy